Hello and welcome to Case Reopened, your number one Detective Conan rewatch podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Treese, and joining me as always is the lovely Colleen. Hello. Yeah. How are you, Tyler? I'm doing great. We're, we're going to talk about one Conan episode today, and then we're going to finish off the Gosho Oyama short stories. We have one final one called Play It Again. A little time travel again. Yeah. Well, not really time travel, but... uh. Hmm, what would you call it, though? Like, going back to your... It's like 17 again, if anyone's ever seen that movie. Well, I mean, it's like Detective Conan. The dude goes back to his younger self, you know? Sure. If only he... we wouldn't could... call Conan time travel. No, that's true. But if only uh, Shinichi could get back to his normal body as easily as... Whatever his name was. Sakura? Senjuro yeah, or whatever? Maybe he could. He just doesn't look at, like, cherry blossoms like he should. He needs to appreciate ah. nature. That's right. Instead of looking at murders. Exactly. That's his issue. And looking up the skirts of gymnasts, that pervert. Yeah. So we we saw how the pervy guy in Play It Again ended up. Well, I mean, there's multiple pervy guys. (laughs) You're like, which one? Yeah. We'll kick off first with episode 135 of Detective Conan, The Disappearing Weapon Search Case. This originally aired February 15th, 1999. The hint for this is... Trash Pickup Day and Crows. It's not often that we get a multifaceted <laughs> hint here. It's super specific. It's not even just trash. It's Trash Pickup Day. And Crows. And Crows. Sorry. No offense to Crows. So Conan says that today's stage is an apartment building. The city crows are having a blast on Garbage Collection Day. So they're really reiterating that this is Garbage Collection Day. And Crows. <laughs> well, you know, we like those relatable <laughs> moments. Uh, when's your <laughs> trash pickup day, Colleen? Uh, so it's Thursdays. Oh, make sure to put yours out tonight. Uh, so it passed. Like, oh, so we're recording Wednesday. on Thursday. Okay, it was gotcha. Th- well, I hope you put your garbage out. What's your trash pickup day? Just so we're equal here. I have no clue. <laughs> I don't take out the garbage. <laughs> That's not my problem. Oh, okay. You have servants who do that for you. Somebody has to. Yeah. <laughs> the episode begins with the detective boys and high bar walking around bored and reminiscing about the national stadium hostage case ginta hopes that there's another one like that and kind remarks that if we had a case like that every day it'd be a disaster so think about like the psychopath like behavior here from ginta where he's saying that he wishes that seventy thousand people were held hostage and somebody was sniping people yeah, well, from Genta's perspective, it was like a big game. He was like playing hide and seek, trying to find the uh, the what are they called? The person holding other people hostage. Um, so, but yeah, on the flip side, it's like like he has no sense of the danger that those people were in. Ayumi then points out that a beauty salon owned by Midori that she goes to with her mom, and she says that she likes a hairdresser there named Mika. Take note of these names, because shockingly, when they just randomly introduce characters, they usually are involved in a murder. Yeah, so, I mean, we pretty much had two new characters. I mean, I'm not counting, like, the garbage guys, so you you kind of know who's who. You're always disrespecting garbage men. They work hard, they pick up your trash, and you say they don't even count as new characters. Come on, Colleen. At least I know when my garbage pick-up date is. 
you have a point. Uh, we then see Mika getting yelled at by Midori, and Mika informs her that she's leaving her job to join another hair salon next Monday. Another hairdresser informs Midori that a customer is waiting, and she tells them to wait a bit. Midori then tells Mika that she won't let her do as she pleases. As she exits, Mika spots Ayumi and says hello to her and her friends. Ayumi asks about her leaving and says that she wished Mika could cut her hair at least once. Mika then says that she could cut it now since Ayumi's mother always recommends her and she'll give Ayumi special treatment. Since she's completely booked, she tells Ayumi to come over to her house the next day. Genta and the rest of the kids decide to come as well, and Conan kind of gets bullied into coming by Genta. He wasn't interested, and he's like, you're coming too, Conan. Which I thought was odd, just because usually Genta doesn't want Conan there, because Ayumi likes Conan, so I don't know yeah. why he bullied her here. Yeah. It was, like, the one opportunity to not have Conan around, because he specifically was like, I'm not interested. So, yeah, that was a little uh, off-character for Genta. So do you have, like, one special hairdresser that you like? <laughs> I do. Yeah. Um, her name's Leah. Shout out to Leah if she's listening. She's probably not. <laughs> but I've been going to her for, oh my gosh, a long time. Many years now. The next day we see an excited Ayumi walking to Mika's house and Conan asks why Hibera decided to come. Hibera says that she wants to observe how Conan identifies in his role as a child. And Genta then trips after hitting a tile with his foot. That was fun. I'm always here for some Genta falling. Genta had a pretty good run this episode, like even to the last like post-credit joke. So, <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he's on a roll. You know, I thought this episode was really solid in making sure all of the detective boys had some con- contribution. Because usually Mitsuhika has been the odd man out of just, like, not really moving the plot forward, not really contributing anything. But uh, he has some good information here. Ayumi's central to the plot. You know, Genta's funny. Hibera's the greatest character ever. There. And uh, so everybody (laughs) contributes nicely here, which I enjoy. Yeah, it's uh, actually quite balanced out for, dare I say, a TV original. (laughs) A crow even laughs at Genta after he falls down, and Kony notices that it's garbage day. Must be a Thursday morning uh, if they live around <laughs> you, which they don't, because they're in Japan and you're in Canada. Who knows? I might be lying. Maybe I am in Japan. They finally arrive at Mika's apartment, and there's no answer. However, the door is unlocked, Sayumi and the rest of them walk inside. They call out to her to no avail, and Genta then notices her sleeping on the floor. Conan enters the next room and he finds her dead, having been strangled to death. He checks for her pulse and confirms that she was murdered. Guess she won't be starting that new job Monday. Nope, and poor Ayumi. She's not going to get her hair cut. Police arrive and they confirm that the 24-year-old was strangled. Meguri says that she died about 13 hours ago and says that the strangulation marks aren't visible in the back. Conan interrupts and says that there's a blue plastic thing in her middle finger. Conan notices a convenience store shopping bag on her table, a dress from the cleaners on her sofa, and then another dress with the card from the cleaners thrown to the ground. He surmises that Mika came back after stopping at the store in the cleaners before being strangled by the culprit. Is this how you want to go out, Colleen? Strangled. Strangled by a hanger? Um, yeah. If it's quick, then yes. I, w- I want the most painless death possible, preferably in my sleep. <laughs> Okay, so long and drawn out. I will add that to my notes. 
<laughs> oh, you're keeping notes on this. You're you're getting ideas from all these episodes. Like, oh, yeah, string. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is an elaborate long con, so I can murder you, Helen. Well, we have that recorded now. Oh crap! <laughs> Thankfully, I edit the episode so I can stealthily take that out. Darn. Hybara appears and tells Conan that something doesn't fit about the case, and that's when Megary asks the kids to get out. He's like, what are you kids doing here? This is a murder scene. Move. <laughs> Conan argues that they found the corpse, but he tells them to go to the lobby anyhow. He then orders Takagi to call the Midori beauty salon so somebody can identify the body. So there's your boy Takagi calling people. Always there. Always there to help out with the case. Although Takagi was a little harsh this episode with the kids coming up later the kids wait outside and ayumi is shocked that something happened to the hairdresser Kenan wonders what the plastic was doing under her finger and wonders if it was a personal object from the killer or from the murder weapon midori then arrives to identify the body but she runs off instead of directly going into the building the kids shout out to her and tell her where mika's apartment is and she acts as if she was confused so it's very clear from the start especially since you only meet these two characters that Midori is super guilty. Like, you never had any doubt here, right? No, no, not at all. And, like, even in her um, body language, too. Like, they did not even try to throw in a red herring or make us think that it was possibly somebody else. Her body language, like, the way that she kind of went to look at the garbage. You're like, okay, there's something weird going on with this Midori girl. So, it, it's more of, like, a one of those... Like, how did she do it, or how did she hide the murder weapon case rather than a whodunit? Yeah, and I thought one thing that was interesting, just compared to past episodes like that, they usually show the crime being committed. They usually make it super, super clear, and it's not like they don't make it clear here, but they usually go all the way and show you the criminal, and you kind of get a better look into it, but they still leave it, you know, I guess a little bit of doubt there. But it's definitely in vain with those episodes. But it is kind of strange how they don't go all the way. Because almost any other time we see this, we actually see them commit the crime. No, that's true. I guess they wanted to add a little bit of mystery around the murder weapon. Because even uh, at this point, I wasn't... like, Sorry, not at this point. But when they first noticed the blue plastic under her fingernail, I couldn't remember what it was exactly. So... There is that a little bit of element of mystery, even though we know who did it, like pretty much. She asks what they're doing there, and Ayumi explains that she was supposed to get her hair cut today, but somebody killed the hairdresser, I don't know who. <laughs> no idea there. Midori pats Ayumi's head, saying she must have been scared, and Conan asks about the bandage on her hand. She says that she burnt herself as she's a bit clumsy, but Conan clearly doesn't buy it. Midori then cries after seeing the body and runs out of the building, and Conan follows her outside to the roof, and we see her looking for something by the fence. Conan asks what she's doing, and she says that she just needed to get some fresh air since she felt sick, so she really cannot get the time she wants away from Conan here. No, he is on to her. Conan decides to take a look for himself, and Hybear says that she figured out what didn't fit. She says something should have come with the cleaners, but it's gone. Conan then deduces that the plastic was from the murder weapon, and then notices the trashman picking up garbage down the street. So Conan panics, he runs out of the building, and he stops the garbage men. He asks them to put back the garbage from the street, and they're like, 
Why would we listen to you? <laughs> but thankfully, Hybara, the smart one of the case, she uh, drags Megary outside, and they explain it to him. So we get the little hint here where uh, they just leave a bunch of hints for Megary. Kenan says, Inspector, people that leave trash at night are a real headache. If they take it out at night, the people walking by can trip on it. If the garbage truck passes by in the morning, there's no evidence left behind. Uh-huh. Wink, 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 wink. Nudge, nudge, nudge. And then Takagi doesn't get it. He's he's completely like, shoo, come on, kids. It's okay, because he's pretty. Megary then asks if they've collected the garbage for the apartment building yet, and the garbage truck men say that they have. So Megary asks them to put the garbage from the street in the parking lot of the building, as the murder weapon might be there. You know what I like about these garbage men, though? Like, when Conan asks them to do something, they're just like, huh, why should we listen to you? Where the whole police force basically does whatever Conan says. That's because they're experts in their field of choice. Uh, the police are obviously inept. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even realize that. You have a point there, sir. Since she lived alone, it was likely that the trash would have been picked up before the body was discovered. However, the police aren't sure what the murder weapon was. Conan gives another hint, saying that maybe the killer threw out the hanger, among other things, since it wasn't of any use. They then realize that there wasn't a hanger with the clothes, and a blue hanger must be the murder weapon, which explains the blue plastic under her fingernail, and why there weren't any strangulation marks on the back of her neck. There you go. The murder weapon has been solved, Colleen. Who knew that you could kill somebody with a hanger? <laughs> I didn't. But I'm sure you're taking notes. Well, yeah, obviously. <laughs> Conan then calls out to Midori and asks if she came to check the trash, too. He says that she was really worried as she was watching from the roof before coming down. She plays dumb, and Megari then orders the trashman to cooperate as it's a murder investigation. Conan says that there should be irrefutable proof on the hangar that implicates the killer. All the garbage then gets dumped out into the parking lot, and Midori watches on, looking worried. The policemen go through all of the garbage bags, but the blue hanger isn't found in any of them. They're all kind of stumped here, and Conan gets very frustrated. He yells at the police. He says, A cab, search the search the garbage again. Megary gives him a look, and he's like, I'm, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this is anime original Conan, obviously. Because Conan's usually pretty cool and calculated, so this kind of break of emotion is like... I don't know. It's not like him, I don't think. Megary then tells his crew to clean up the mess and to apologize to the garbage men. Megary then looks at Midori and asks where she was between 8 and 11 p.m. She doesn't answer and instead asks why she's being asked that. Hibera mentions that they were arguing yesterday over Mika leaving the salon. And Midori admits that she said that. And Megary asks her to come to the station. She refuses and asks for evidence to be shown before starting to leave. Megary then says that he has no doubt that she threw the hanger in the trash, judging by her reaction, and that she's the killer. Everybody's on the same page that she had to have done it, but they can't find the murder weapon, Colleen. Did you have any theories? Uh, well, it, it probably had something to do with crows, because that was the other part of the clue. So, yep. but what it ended up being was a little more surprising than I thought. Like, I don't, maybe it's just me but i've never seen a crow take a hanger before like to make a nest so i don't know but uh, i i'm really like interested in megary's reaction here because usually 
he kind of waits to really figure out the evidence and he doesn't really throw out uh, accusations. But here he's just like, I'm sure she's the killer. So uh, that was an interesting statement from him, I thought. Oh, wow. So I'm going to send you a article here on Skype. Uh, oh, my gosh. <laughs> look at how many co-hangers. They, they don't just make like, they don't just use it as part of the nest. Oh. They almost make a whole entire nest out of the co-hangers. How do they gather so many co-hangers? Well, look at that. <laughs> They're just like going into people's houses and taking them. Yeah, that's pretty or amazing. Or maybe, I guess, people throw them out after... The- the dry cleaners. I stand corrected. Now then again, I don't have any crows near my house, but uh, yeah. That's pretty oh, cool. That's yeah. like art. Yeah, Google crow hanger nest and you will find this article. There's a bunch of pictures on Google too. And recycling Tokyo crows also build their nests out of coat hangers. So uh, the Asian jungle crow. There we go. It steals the hangers from people's homes. That's pretty cool. Yeah, this whole article is about Japanese crows. Yeah, right? so this seems to yeah. be a Japanese custom here. That's cool. Wow. Oh, the last one has a little egg inside. That's cute. Conan agrees, but they can't find the hanger. The kids are walking home dejected, and High Bear says somebody must have took uh, somebody could have took the hanger, as there are people that search through the trash. Genta then reveals that he does the same looking for common Yaiba figures. <laughs> and it's like, dude, who's throwing around who's throwing away figures, man? You're not he's found zero for sure. Right. <laughs> he just goes uh dump dump no, what are they called? What's Trash it called? Can. Trash diving? Is that what you call? Dumpster diving. Yeah, dumpster diving. For Kaiman Yaiba figures. <laughs> to date, he's just found like I don't know, old bottles. Ayumi calls it disgusting, and Mitsuhiko even chides him. He says, that's not the kind of thing you should brag about. He's correct. Yeah. Colleen, we we don't pull any punches here. Have you ever dumpster-dived? Uh, I do not, no. I, I can't say that I've ever tried that. It, it doesn't look particularly fun. Kenny then looks at a net nearby, and Mitsuhiko explains that they put it around garbage bags so crows don't rip them open. Conan says that a crow could have taken the hangar to build its nest. They then decide to look for bird nests nearby. The kids ask around. They're climbing trees looking for it, and they communicate using their badges. They then learn from a man that the crows are building a nest on a light pole. They look at it with binoculars, and Conan notices a blue hangar there. The kids have Megari retrieve the hangar, and he presents it to Midori later that night. He says that the piece of plastic found under her nail matches it, and there's a drop of blood on it. And it's a different blood type than the victim. They say that the killer likely injured her own hand while strangling her. And he points out her bandage. And he asks her to remove it. So they've got her dead to rights here, Colin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I don't know. I felt kind of bad for her. But it was probably her nervous body language the entire time. Because when they actually showed the flashback and she had like this death glare. I was like, okay, never mind. No more pity for you. <laughs> Midori then removes her bandage, showing a scratch, and says Mika threw the hanger at her. She initially just went over to ask her not to leave the salon, but was so enraged after she was told to leave, and that Mika said that she would do as she wanted. The ungrateful girl forgot what I did for her and threw a hanger at me, she says. And Megari gets so pissed off here, 
And he's like, you really killed mm-hmm. somebody? You took a person's life over something this ridiculous? And I love this part because you really show the pain like Megary feels for this young girl who lost her life over such a, a stupid scuffle over a hanger being thrown and going to a better job. Like he's just, he's completely pissed off here. Yeah. Props to Megri. But like we have seen pretty shabby um, reasons for people killing other people. But yeah, this one, this one is really bad too. Yeah. I think this takes the cake for just like, really? You killed somebody over that? It's almost as bad as the computer was his friend, you know? <laughs> right. Midori then looks down in shame and is arrested. After the ending song, we see Ayumi reflecting on the murder. She can't believe it happened, as both of the women were so kind to her. Hibera then says that people have a lot of faces, and that's something I remember every week while talking to Colleen. She's always ready to stab me in the back. So just wait. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Very convincing that just straight faced, never in Maybe I should have me. denied that. Kenta notices some crows that look at them angrily. And Mitsuhiko says they're probably mad since they stole their nest. And the crows then angrily fly at the kids who all run off in terror. And Kenta says we can't come back to the park for a while as the episode ends. Funny little ending here. What did you think of the episode overall? Did you think it was nice that we got to learn about crows and nests? Because I didn't know that. Yeah, so uh, had I done the research, I would have been a lot more impressed than I was watching the episode. Because I just didn't really know anything about crows building nests out of hangers. But that is a thing after all. Uh, as for the rest of it, I thought <laughs> I thought it went by so quick. And it didn't really feel like much of a mystery to me for whatever reason. It was just like I was watching just a story unfold and kind of I knew how it was going to end. And I don't know. I guess the level of intrigue was minimal for me. Um, So it was more of like maybe a character kind of episode. It was kind of cool seeing the kids all working together on equal and having like equal contributions like you had mentioned. Um... And, uh, yeah, I guess just this episode happened, I suppose. I don't know. I don't have any special feelings towards it, unfortunately. One thing that's interesting, since this episode did reference it, you know, the case at the soccer stadium where they had the 56,000 hostages, our listener William Lee chimed in on Twitter and he mentioned he did some digging on the term soccer. And it's actually the British are to blame here, as they came up with the term, and they only stopped using it about 30 years ago. We can blame England for this one, Colleen. Yeah. Uh, well, so I read that article. I can't remember what the word was. It was, uh, they like took part of a word, like the middle part, and formed soccer. So yeah, that was very educational. I did not know that. I'm just learning a whole bunch of things. Yeah, so it comes from association football, and then association has SOC in it, and somehow that became soccer. I don't know. See, the English are just weirdos. (laughs) Let's blame them. No offense to any any of our listeners across the pond. Yeah, we we love you all. 
So William also says he was looking forward to seeing how Hibera changes the dynamic of Detective Boys episodes. And this was kind of the first time we really got to see her here with the Detective Boys other than, you know, that initial meeting. So I thought she didn't really do too much in this episode, but she did have a, she helped Conan. That's kind of nice that Conan has somebody else to get hints from and kind of put ideas back and forth. Because I feel like he's usually, he's a little hesitant to use the brain power of the detective boys. Even though we see Mitsuhiko help out here a little bit with the crows and stuff. It's kind of nice for him to have somebody on the same level so they can go back and forth and back and forth on ideas. So we kind of see that a little bit. Um, but she doesn't totally change the dynamic a ton. You know, they're still more little kids than adults turned kids. So it's still a cheerful thing. Uh, so I like the dynamic. What do you think about Hibera or basically yourself being involved <laughs> with the detective boys here? Uh, yeah. So she was definitely um, more passive in terms of like participating with the detective boys themselves. Like she only seemed to be talking to Conan the entire episode. Um, but in the same way that the kids usually give Conan hints inadvertently, like if they're talking about like toys or something and Conan just thinks of something, Hibera seems to have more uh, adult references. So even with the dry cleaning thing, although I'm pretty sure Ayumi could have given him that hint because she seems like a pretty classy little girl. But uh, <laughs> what, what I'm saying is Hibara, I guess it would make sense that she knows a little bit more about you know, how dry cleaners work and how they would provide the customer with a hanger. So um, having her there, I suppose, was helpful. But if she wasn't there, I'm sure some other character could have done that. Yeah, you ultimately are disposable, Colleen. But like you said, she <laughs> talked to Conan a lot like you would have. So the, the comparison still fits. Oh, yeah, I would only talk to Conan. So I, I thought this was a really fun, breezy episode. Like you said, it went by really quick and... Even though it was a murder case, it didn't feel like it had super high odds. It's not like there was a bunch of fear that the person was going to strike again. It was like, oh, it's just this like soccer mom that runs this salon. There wasn't any danger that they were in. Um, but I thought it was a fun case. I got to learn something about crows. And I, I kind of like how, you know, through this and through that episode, um, with all the kids, all, having all the little kids go shopping and stuff. Like, we're learning little pieces of Japanese culture through these uh, TV originals. And uh, I never really... Because I've seen this episode before, but I, I think just because we talk about them and go over stuff and we do a little bit of research, we get to kind of dive into the culture more and we take more out of the TV originals than maybe you would if you just watched it once and you weren't really... You didn't, you know, you didn't get on your phone, you didn't search stuff. Because I, I think we do get a little bit more out of it than the common watcher would, uh, just because we do this whole exercise and discuss it. But I, I thought it was a really fun episode. It wasn't like the greatest thing ever, but you know, it was just a, a solid Detective Boys case with not really high uh, stakes. But you know, it was a, a nice little case. Yeah, and I have to say, I really liked the post-credit, uh, like the joke at the end. I don't know if you caught it. It was Genta. What was the joke? So, um, it's like they're basically, you know, pre promoting the next episode, and Genta like comes up. He's like, and it's gonna be Metante Genta. So I thought that was really fun. So look forward to Genta next time. Yes, it's now the great detective Genta. We get the next kind of hint, which is chess pieces. Do you think Genta has any clue how to play chess? No. 
<laughs> I don't know. I don't think he knows how to play a lot of games. Like that's fair. Checkers. <laughs> I just I just learned. Okay, speaking of checkers, this is embarrassing, but I just learned I've been playing checkers wrong for like twenty years. How do you play checkers? I didn't know how to play it apparently. So the thing that I learned recently was that if you can take like your opponent's piece, you ha- you are forced to take it. You can, like even if it will like ultimately put you in a disadvantage, you have to take that piece. Yeah. So I never knew that you were forced to do it. And then I found out that checkers isn't called checkers worldwide. Like this is the United States or I guess North America. Do you call it checkers? Yes. Okay, so I think only in North America, everywhere else it's called droughts. Droughts? Yes. Huh. Yeah, D R A U G H T S. So every other like major country, they don't call it checkers. It's a apparently it's just a North American thing. They'll call it drought. It's kind of like soccer and football. Although I don't know yeah. if we have the British to blame for checkers. <laughs> <laughs> for droughts. Uh, you know it's so weird that you say that because I you know, I I would have thought that would have come up at some point in my life. Like, I don't know, watching foreign movies, but I guess th- nobody plays checkers in movies. <laughs> they have a lot of chess movies because of, like, the strategy behind it, but checkers doesn't get all the love. I always thought ch- checkers was, like, a simpler game, but now, now that I know I, I, that you actually have to jump the pieces... There's actually a whole lot more strategy because you can trick people by forcing them to move places. Like, uh, it really becomes a whole different game once you learn that. So, uh, I guess I just had bad parenting. Never, never, I never figured that out. I guess I never <laughs> looked and read the instructions, you know? No. See, I think Checkers is one of those games where there's a lot of house rules. So, people will just, like, make up whatever rules they want to play at the onset. Like, I don't recall ever reading a checkers instructions manual you just kind of get taught by whoever in this case parents most of the time now we move on to the second part here which is a gosho oyama short story and it's called play it again we're finishing up the uh second part of that special here how excited were you going into this Did you know anything about play it again prior to watching colin because i didn't absolutely nothing no I knew zero about this. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I had no idea if I would like it or not because I've kind of been like I've, I've had mixed reviews of the short story. Some of them I thought were really awesome, some less so. So I didn't know where this one would fall. So play it again. It opens with the sight of cherry blossoms falling as a young girl named Michiko holds a practice sword and says that her grandfather, Sanjuro, can't come on visiting day. Okay, did you find this odd? Because I, I remember like parents come to school day and stuff but it was in like elementary school it was never like high school this seemed odd to me (laughs) so we had uh parent teacher interviews all the way up to like the last grade of high school in my school but it was it was very much like the parents and the teachers would meet up it wasn't like the parents would come into the classroom and see how the kids were doing so Sanjuro asks if he did anything wrong, and she says that he can't bring a sword with him while watching her in class. He wonders what she is ashamed of, and then tells her to look at the tree as it was planted when he was born, and that she shouldn't be shy. Whatever path you follow must be beautiful like the flowers and trees, he says. So remember that, Colleen. 
be beautiful like the flowers and trees. No, I'm getting that tattooed on my arm this weekend. Words to live by. She then yells at him, saying that she is tired of hearing that speech. He then says that she has to defeat him in a sparring match if she wants to get her way. Sinjuro then calls himself the demon and says that he won't be taken out easily. She then immediately just turns her back and starts to run away, which forces him to chase after her. She runs around the tree repeatedly until he runs out of breath and says that while he mastered the path of the sword, he can't do anything about his age. And that's when Machiko hits him in the head with her practice sword, and this old man just falls to the ground in tears. What do you think about these two characters? This is a quite the funny introduction here. Yeah, so I, uh, well, first of all, I got a hoot out of uh, Sanjuro's voice. I'm pretty sure it's the same voice actor who does Megure, so it was kind of interesting to see that voice matched with a very different looking character. Um, as for the two characters, I didn't really understand what the granddaughter's beef was. Like, I thought, like, if my grandfather was a swordsman, I'd want him to come to my school. Like, I don't know why she was all embarrassed about that. I guess I didn't really understand the conflict. Well, everybody's kind of embarrassed by their parents, I think. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, even if you have, like, the coolest parent you're still going to be, like, if you're their kid, you're going to be embarrassed by them. Um, so, I mean, th- it seemed like they had this kind of uh, really casual kind of relationship. Like, it didn't feel like he was some sort of really strict grandfather. It actually reminded me a lot of, if anyone's seen Ranma One Half, like, um, a lot of the characters are martial artists in that show. So, uh is kind of like okay this granddaughter was brought up in this specific way to know kendo or whatever so i think it was kendo sorry i don't mean to say like whatever but i just don't know exactly which uh uh which yeah it was kendo sport, i guess okay thanks um so yeah I, I i guess that's that's kind of a cool aspect like that she kind of was brought up in the family tradition um so so it's a little it's kind of interesting that this is how they would uh sort of resolve conflict even like let's you know fight and see who wins type of thing so she explains her tactics she says that if she had faced him head on then she would have had no chance However, her strategy was a success having outsmarted her grandfather machiko tells him that he can't come and Sanjuro is just ashamed to lose to a girl. It's much like me losing an argument to you on here, Colleen. I'm like, ah, I did it again. I lost to a woman. Okay, let's be clear. Like, you never lose the argument. I come out at the bottom all the time. Okay, so I'm not even going to touch that. Um, <laughs> she then runs... <laughs> okay, delete that. She then runs off to school while Sanjuro remarks on getting old. He looks at the cherry blossom tree that he's under, and he says it's like his other self as he's the same age. He then asks the tree why its flowers still bloom with such energy, while he is an old man. I envy you, he tells the tree. If only I could be as young as you. He then passes out under the falling cherry blossoms, and we get the title card. Have you ever been envious of a tree? Um, not envious. I mean... I've looked at trees and thought they were nice, like weeping willows, but uh, I don't think I've ever been like, gee, I want to be a weeping willow. So I'm envious of every tree over six foot, and that's when I'm like, man, I wish I could be tall like you, tree. 
and I <laughs> fall asleep. But sadly, I don't grow when I wake up. Oh, okay. The, the tree doesn't put its leaves on you and give you its height. It's probably because it wasn't planted the same day I was born. So my once again, oh, okay. my parenting really dropped the ball here. That's right. You have to find a tree that was born the same day that you were born. Because that's your like kindred spirit tree. Yep. So at the school, Michiko is relieved not to see her grandfather and wonders if it's really normal to open high school classes to the public. We then see her grandfather wake up with a voice full of energy, although his face is obscured by a tree branch. Did you, you, did you realize what was going on here? Yeah, yeah, I thought it was pretty obvious because, like, not only his, you know, body was different, but his voice too so yeah i wasn't like <laughs> i don't know why they bothered doing that because it wasn't it didn't come out as a big surprise when they revealed his face yeah i'm the same i'm with you 100 percent. uh he says that machika will pay for what she's done and back at her school machika is about to read aloud in front of the class when her grandfather runs in calling her name she's embarrassed and she's shocked to see a young man enter the room instead what'd you think about uh young Sanjuro were you into him oh sure yeah he had like these um I think it was supposed to be stubble but it kind of looked like whiskers coming out but not like Naruto whiskers just sort of like I don't know weird hobo homeless people whiskers but uh yeah otherwise he was pretty cute so you're into the hobo look is that what I'm hearing (laughs) if that's what you're hearing that that's definitely not what I'm saying so uh, Michiko asks who he is and he tells her not to mock him he's then asked to leave by the teacher who tells the young man to go back to class and that he's wearing some strange clothes before kicking him out another student then asks Michiko who that was and she has no clue at all Sanjuro then storms off and he's like I'm wearing my best kimono what are they yelling at me about (laughs) he walks by a mirror that's when he notices that he's much younger and he can't believe what he's seeing a time trip I became young again, and he just screams that. We then see Machiko thinking back on the student saying his kimono looked like her grandfather's, and her classmate then points out the man running outside and doing cartwheels, so this dude is full of energy, and he loves to be young again. Yeah, that's great. Wouldn't you like to be young again? God, yes. (laughs) So much. Every single day, Colin, you don't even know. I I just want to, you know, I, I don't even have to go that, like, far back. Just before I started a Conan podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Your life was so much better than Sanjuro vows to do everything he wanted to do. And uh, Machiko's classmate just says, your friend's kind of odd. Very true. I was really surprised that the friend didn't automatically ask her if that was her boyfriend. Because that tends to be where they go like in their line of questioning. We then see Sanjuro hit him runs at a batting cage. He even does one with his foot, which I'm not sure how that even works but that's <laughs> hey when you're young impressive. you can do it he then goes bowling he even goes to mcdonald's and eats about 30 burgers and several orders of fries it's amazing he didn't have a heart attack here no he was filming supersize me one of his one of that guys i forget the director's name but one of his follow-up films was something called like the greatest story ever told or something ever bought or something but anyhow he bought the city where i'm from he bought like the name to the he he renamed the city after his damn movie for like one day oh it's a whole ordeal morgan spurlock yeah 
Didn't he get Me too Is he canceled? Possibly. He was relevant for like a few years and now I don't know what's all, what's going on with him. Yep. December 2017, he admitted to a history of sexual misconduct. Screw you, guy. <laughs> yeah. Let me find this other film here. Okay, so it was called The Greatest Movie Ever Sold. And on April 27, 2011, the city of Altoona officially changed its name to Palm Wonderful Presents The Greatest Movie Ever Sold, Pennsylvania, and received $25,000 for doing so. So if you ever want to buy my city's name, apparently, just cough up 25000 and you can just completely make an ass out of all this. I was so ashamed by that. I was like, oh, God. That's not even that much in the grand scheme of things. No, it was really embarrassing. And our city like took like some weird prize, like pride in it. And I was like, ugh, this place is so embarrassing. <laughs> now you, you can't live it down. <laughs> it's okay, just rename. Here, here's what we'll do. We'll we'll buy it by the city name and rename it Conan Town. Yeah. Just like that there city. Just like that town in Japan. Sounds good. Sanjiro goes into a bookstore and he's about to buy a dirty magazine when we see Ron and Sonico make a cameo yeah. and they walk past him. So that this uh, distracts him and he actually notices a book of poetry by Mokichi Saito and he reads a romantic poem that mentions a flower comb and that reminds him of his first love apparently as he takes a train to this other area part of town and he says that it's really changed over the past 60 years. And that's when he arrives at Baker Temple, which hasn't changed much. He says that this is where he met a girl once, and then he runs to the back where a well is located. Do you, did you remember this well from the other special we did with the, the short guy, George, with George. Giorgio? At first, yeah. no. I was actually getting really mad um, Inuyasha vibes from the way this guy was dressed and the well. That's kind of where my mind was at. But then when I saw the uh, the hair comb, I was like, oh, okay. It's referring back to the mini, whatever, George mini mystery, whatever that one was called. Yeah. So it's locked since it isn't being used anymore. And he says that she lived nearby before remembering that it was 60 years ago. So she probably isn't there anymore. He goes walking around the town until he doesn't know where he is. And that's when cherry blossoms start flowing towards him. So he walks towards them. That's when he spots a beautiful young girl in a red kimono holding a cat. However, his flashback disappears, and now it's the current day, and he sees an old woman holding a cat there. So, I doubt it's the same cat. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You, nev you never know with cats. They have nine lives and all. He notices a golden hairpin, and her granddaughter comes outside and asks if she she's cold. She says that she's alright, and then she holds her great-grandchild in her arms. And Sanjuro starts tearing up at the scene, and he, he seems glad that his first love is doing well. And so he walks away, and we see the old lady notices him, and she's kind of shocked by it, and she takes out her hairpin to play with the baby. And she says that this is the comb that let us meet him and me back then. What do you think about this scene? It's uh, quite the detour here, uh, and we don't get a ton of information of their significance, and obviously they wound up with different people because they each have grandchildren now uh what do you think about this did you find it sweet what were your thoughts well it was kind of i feel like it was a little bit of a 180 like from going to looking at porn magazines or not looking but trying to get one and then 
thinking of your first love and then you go like go and visit her i was like okay interesting well segue. <laughs> what's what's the good part of your first love colleen come on <laughs> he was like oh oh i i'm actually interested now um like w- i guess i was i had mixed emotions in that i thought it was super endearing and sweet and all that but i also wondered why did he wait so long to go and find her i guess it was because he like this was the first time he thought about her in a long time maybe so uh that's the only thing i could think of but uh yeah it is odd because it's like what are you gonna do like <laughs> she's not gonna like she's gonna be confused as you're 18 again and then I don't, yeah it, it is very strange what his angle is but he seemed to just be happy to check up on her and then be glad that she's doing well yeah and i was i thought that that's the direction the episode was going in that he would eventually sort of present himself to her and then they'd you know meet up afterwards when he eventually you know aged again because let's face it he wasn't gonna stay young forever like that but uh, yeah that never happened sinjuro then decides to go back to school and he takes a leak in the bathroom that's when he overhears a delinquent named nakata saying that he will target michiko they warn that her grandfather is a master swordsman, but Nakadai says that he's just an old geezer now. Besides, girls should be taken by force, he says. Uh, I assume you don't agree with that statement. Uh, no, I, I thought this guy was a pig. <laughs> Let's just be real there. I mean, I don't know if, if you thought he was, you know, the greatest ever, but... <laughs> I, I well, I thought saying. he made some really good points. Oh, did he there. now? <laughs> Especially that last line. I thought it was strange just because, like, like Sanjuro is obviously upset here initially. But once he realizes that, like, because, spoiler here, uh, his daughter's, or his granddaughter's attracted to the guy that wants to apparently rape her. Um, but he's kind of like, ah, these crazy kids <laughs> <laughs> at first. And he's like, he, there's a moment where he's like, well, I'm not going to embarrass the guy she likes or whatever but and it's like what are you she he said he was gonna rape her like what's yeah. going on dude yeah so it was almost like oh did you care more about the sword fight at that point than sort of like what this guy said he would do to your granddaughter yeah it was strange it was almost like he respects him as a like a swordsman so he's like i can look past that until he shows <laughs> that he's truly I can look past that personality flaw yeah, I guess maybe it was just, uh, as as Donald Trump said, it was just locker room talk, you know? Yeah, it was urinal talk. Well, that's true. So I, I was, I got some insight into what dudes talk about in the bathroom. Yeah, we, we say women gotta be forced. We gotta force ourselves upon them. Please yeah. don't, like, uh, we- take that out of context. Don't. <laughs> I was... <laughs> We've got not, confirmation now, ladies. with him. So uh, that enrages Sanjuro, who's holding a plunger of all things. <laughs> and he says, This uh, is awesome. <laughs> says they're not going to touch his granddaughter. The other boys grab brooms and they rush towards him. And he easily dodges all their attacks and he embarrasses them with the plunger just sticking in their face and pulling it off. And Nakadai says that his friends are no match for him and that he'll handle him. So they they moved the duel outside. I was very disappointed. I thought they were going to have like this one-on-one battle in the bathroom, and I was so hyped. It was so epic. 
as, as like while I was in the bathroom like there's action mu- uh, music was going on and it was like super intense and the camera was panning uh, like the way you would see in a duel like an actual fight so it, it was really hyping it up and then when you realize that they're still in the bathroom and Sanjuro's fighting with a plunger it just makes it all the more awesome <laughs> So as they go outside, news of the fight spreads throughout the school and the students yell out that Nakadai from the kendo club is fighting against some weird guy and they all gather outside, including Michiko. And Sanjiro is still holding a plunger. (laughs) (laughs) And Sanjiro winds up being impressed that Nakadai is using the Uinto guard, which he says is rare to be used by somebody that young. Nakadai recognizes that Sanjiro is using the Takagasumi guard. Sanjiro then uses his plunger to summon a cherry blossom storm. So I don't know if this is like some supernatural thing. What the hell is going on here? It's just all these cherry blossoms start coming out from his plum or from his plunger. I was like, what the hell is going on here? It's magic. However, his he gets distracted by Machiko, who yells at Nakadai to hang in there, and that's when the a wannabe rapist takes advantage of the distraction and he hits Sanjiro right in the head. And he just can't believe that his granddaughter's in love with this asshole. And he falls to the ground. I couldn't believe it either. Oh, gosh, goes to show you what uh, what she knew about that guy. Nakadai is perplexed by his win. And he can't comprehend what happened. Because obviously he had more skill than he showed there. And he beat him so easily. This I find really fascinating about anime characters. And I mean, I'm saying it as if people aren't this way as well but i the best reference i can make right now is this character in particular he even though he won he wasn't all you know gloating about it he was actually super confused he was like what i didn't get a you know proper fight because this guy was obviously more skilled like there's some sort of like honor code going on here yeah, because you want the best out of your opponent. You don't. He almost felt disrespected that he didn't get the fight that he was, he should have gotten. You know. Yeah, that's why Sasuke doesn't like Naruto at first. It's how you should feel talking to me, because obviously I dumb myself down to be on your intellectual level, Colleen. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm surprised you can muster that up for about an hour. Well, somebody has to do it. <laughs> somebody has to spend time with you, Colleen. The Chico then helps bandage Sajiro up and says that the kendo geniuses like Nakadai shouldn't be trifled with. He tells her that she should just leave him and go to be with Nakadai if she likes him so much. However, she says that she can't let someone leave with an injury. He says it's just a scratch, and she says that she already has one back home, a stubborn samurai that doesn't know when to quit. This uh, this dorky dude is reminding her of her grandfather here, which is good because it is her grandfather. Yeah, I, she just never finds out, so there's not really any sort of resolution to this this aspect. Sandro then tells Michiko that she'll make a good wife one day. She tells him to shut up and stop saying her first name because uh, that is something uh unique to, well maybe not unique to Japan, but it's very different from our culture. To where the students basically always refer to each other by their last name rather than their first name. Yeah. Only if you're like super close would you use each other's first names. She then asks for his name and he says that it's Sakura Sanjuro. And she's just like, that's a weird name. 
They then walk home, and she warns him not to try anything weird, as her grandfather will kill him if he does. And in his mind, he's like, nobody would do that to their own granddaughter. Jeez, that's disgusting. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like, these... Okay, so... Just... Like, there's that. And then there's the fact that um, Michiko is like, you know, don't try and try anything with me, but... At the same time, she's crushing on the the school wannabe rapist. And by the end, she starts crushing on her younger grandfather. But... Yes, that that was also kind of odd. <laughs> Sorry, that was odd. I don't know why I said kind of to lessen the blow. As they walk back, Machiko notices Nakadai and starts fawning over him. He tells Sinjuro that he wants to fight him again as he wasn't convinced by the first fight. They then dole in front of the cherry blossom tree in his yard. And he has a whole conundrum since he doesn't want to embarrass his opponent or lose himself. That's because he's like, oh, my granddaughter likes this guy. You know, I have a problem either way. However, Nakadai pulls out a real sword. So then it's like, oh, okay, this dude fucking sucks. <laughs> Michiko says that he can't use a real sword against a weakling and that they should fight instead. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, so at this point, at this point, she still thought he was a weakling. So it takes like less than, you know three minutes for her to change her tune well put yourself in her shoes colleen let's say you see naruto he's you know the bumbling foolish ninja and then he does some cool shit and then you're like whoa and then he turns into nice. sasuke yeah that works nakadai laughs at the notion of fighting a girl and says that once he's taken care of sanjuro he'll be all hers and then just throws her to the ground and sanjuro is like okay now i really gotta fuck this dude up <laughs> he, he sucks I also like how this guy's such a scumbag that he knows that she's into him and he still doesn't want her like willingly. He still wants to like he gets some sick pleasure over forcing her to be with him. So like the fact that she likes him means that he has to make her dislike him for him to be like into it. Like It's really just some messed up psychopath shit, huh? Yeah, I mean, I... It was pretty obvious that he was just in it to use her, and he kind of wanted to... Well, I mean, that's a whole different episode that's not really covered here, but, like, he could very easily have taken her because she's, you know, so into him, but, uh, like, he didn't want a genuine relationship with her. <laughs> Let's be real. Nakadai then rushes towards Sanjuro, but he dodges a strike, Nakadai then cuts down a smaller cherry blossom tree, and it's revealed that he's using the two-sword style. He claims to be the modern-day Musashi, and he slices Sanjuro's wooden sword in half. And then he actually slices Sanjuro's shoulder, cutting him. And he tells Nakadai that his lust and ambition tarnishes his swords. Machika runs into her house looking for her grandfather, but she can't find him. However, she spots his swords, she throws it to Sanjuro. He catches it, and now the duel's finally on even terms. He then uses the Cherry Blossom Sword and is able to cut off Nakadai's clothes, leaving him in his boxer shorts, and he cuts off, like, the top of his head, so it looks like he's bald, which I thought was very funny. Yeah, that was pretty cool. And Michiko cries and fetches a first aid for Sanjuro to tend to his cuts there. What do you think about this fight scene? It's pretty intense. Yeah, it, uh... So, again, I didn't realize that this is where... The, the direction the episode was headed i thought it would be more of like a love kind of story and maybe exploring 
you know, youth, but it ended up being like this fight dueling drama, which was pretty cool anyways. I'm not complaining. Um, so this fight scene, like, I had no doubt in my mind that Sanjiro would win this time, so it just was that much more satisfying how badly he won or like how well he won i don't even know how to put that but like how badly the other guy lost yeah and he did so without stooping to his level like that guy was obviously trying to hurt him and even kill him but you know he managed to beat him by not laying like he didn't he didn't cut him he didn't bother him all he did was prove his superiority by slicing up his the top of his hair and then taking off all his clothes, so he yeah. embarrassed him. He left his socks and boxers and shoes, though, so the guy's feet wouldn't get scratched up. Well, he didn't want to—he didn't want Michiko to see what he's packing and almost fall in love again with that asshole. Yeah, we wouldn't want that. <laughs> she's already sort of like she's already started having feelings for Sakura Sanjiro, so <laughs> can't go back now. Um, but yeah, it's kind of, and it was satisfying in that, like, because of the honor code between the swordsmen, like, Nakadai could, could, like, bow down his head and say, okay, you're the superior fighter here. Sanjiro then looks at the bare cherry blossom tree and thanks it for giving him back his youth. However, he's had enough and he's gotten what he wanted out of it. And that's when he returns to his current age. Michiko then returns and she asks where her grandfather has been and where Sakura went. And he says, don't tell me you fell in love with some good for nothing. <laughs> and uh, Michiko sticks her tongue out and says that the guy she was talking to was much cooler than her grandpa. And he starts to laugh as the story ends. So, uh, yeah, other than the weird uh, generational skip incest scenario there, uh, a cute little story. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so that's what you thought of the episode? Uh, I, I liked it. I thought it was a solid thing. Again, like it's definitely went in directions I wasn't expecting. I didn't expect it to be so uh, action-oriented. And you know, looking back upon it, the whole thing with the, the first love kind of seems almost underexplored. I get that they only have like 22 minutes to go through this stuff. Um, but it, it felt like just a little bit more could have been explored under having you know, a day as your youth again, what would you do? Um, although I guess it just shows that he didn't have a ton of selfish desires. He just wanted to check in on his first love, play some baseball, <laughs> eat some food, you know, enjoy the simple things in life. Um, and that kind of reminds me of that uh, Santa Claus in summer, or whatever that other special was, where he kind of had that one day where he could do anything he wants because... You know, he had the power of the military and everything, and the government and everything, to where you kind of just see what their inner desires are, and he was kind of a little basic on that level. Um, but I thought it was a, a, a neat little story. I'm glad Michiko didn't get raped. And I, I thought the action scenes were fun. Uh, what, were you, what were your thoughts overall? And are you glad that she didn't get raped? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, besides the you know romanticizing toxic relationships and lechery part i really enjoyed this um uh i really liked it basically up till the end because although the ending was fine i just didn't feel satisfied because i wanted there to be sort of this tie back to his first love like maybe he went over there and they actually ended up 
talking and chatting and reconnecting or whatnot, but that didn't happen. So I felt like there that aspect was missing. But overall, I really enjoyed it. And it's funny that you mentioned uh, Santa Claus and Summer because I had that same reflex to compare the two. But uh, for me, it was more like this story was very much like, okay, he went back to his youth and he did sort of like everyday things. And the, the story felt very um, minimalistic, very compact. Whereas Santa Claus and Summer, I felt like there was so many, so many, like a, much grander thing at play because you had sort of like the whole uh world was going to end aspect so it was like he needed to you know save the world at some point and then all this one was is that okay he he needed to fight this guy and he didn't even um actively look for a way to get back to his normal body so there was no like shock factor there there was no like anybody finding out who he was it was just kind of like a vacation for a few hours and like he wasn't there was no concern uh, over you know what what was going to happen to him so I appreciate the lightheartedness aspect of that despite it you know having some other uh, themes that were maybe less desirous so I mean you mentioned the thing about him not them kind of leaving the uh the first love thing uh, underexplored, and I, I do agree to an extent, but I also think it was kind of nice how it was. He noted that she was happy with her family, and obviously he has a he values his you know family and his relationship with Machiko. So I think I think it's kind of nice to just leave them be. He saw like oh we had our time together, and he knew that she still cared about him because she still had the uh, the hairpin. You know, maybe not as like her greatest love or whatever but part of her was still sentimental towards that and i think he he could just let it go and let the past be the past after you know seeing that and i think you know they both have something important to them uh through that yeah he has a tree and she has a cat yep (laughs) so yeah yeah we, we, we referred to this earlier but that george special the many many detective uh he basically retrieves the hairpin for the lady so i guess that happened in universe slightly before this where she was able to get the hairpin back yeah so i i appreciated uh, that as well sort of tying in the different stories together in that way yep so uh that'll do it here for that so the last three we've done are the detective george's many many big strategy the 10 planets in the night sky and then obviously this one play it again which of those three did you uh like most of all um hmm okay i mean i like i like me a baby shinichi because he's super cute and all but i think plot wise uh i enjoyed this one the most play it again and then it'd probably have to be george and then 10 planets just because 10 planets was kind of you know it's very short and the the kind of code solving there didn't really get to me so yeah i'd say play it again was the best of these three for me yeah, I agree with your order. Uh, again, it's not like the Baby Shinichi one's bad. It's just, first off, it's one of those like quick, like seven minute ones. It's the interlude, so it's kind of underexplored by design. And uh, we both had issues with that puzzle because <laughs> it didn't really make much sense how it was solved. Um, but then overall, uh, the first three were the Santa Claus of Summer, the Wandering Red Butterfly, which was how, uh, like, one of the first dates between Kudo 
uh, Yusaku and Yukiko. And then we had Wait For Me, which was the time travel one where the dorky boy had his girlfriend like traveling through space and time for several years and he forgot about her. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite overall of those six? Ooh, um, I don't know if I can pick one. I think it's it's a tie between, uh, what was that first one called? The time travel one? Wait For Me. It, it's probably a tie between Wait For Me and Play It Again. I, I like them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, those are the two that stuck out for me as well. Um, and they just both have school settings, um, so. Yeah, it's, so it's kind of nice to get a, a supernatural element in a school setting. Um, yeah, so. And they both had, like, a time factor to them. So I guess we like that theme a lot. <laughs> Definitely, because Detective Conan has a time factor to it you know the kids shrinking and being younger so yeah definitely up our wheelhouse uh next week we'll be going back to the anime fully we'll be covering part one and part two of the old blue castle investigation case so be on the lookout for that uh you can follow the podcast at case underscore reopened uh if you use apple Podcasts, we would appreciate any reviews that you can leave us uh colleen do you have anything you want to tell the listeners um stay safe stay healthy and be merry how's that that'll do it for this week we'll be back next week with that two-parter so we'll see you then bye thanks for listening and remember one truth always prevails